Amen. Thank you, ladies, for that. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to John chapter 12 this morning. John chapter 12. I think we all would agree that we live in a very uh, self-conscious image type generation. Uh, nobody in any generation ever liked to uh, look foolish or, or look silly, obviously, but today with the uh, unbelievable advancement in technology, we're very much aware of image more than ever. In fact, it's funny, uh, this is just a funny story it, when it comes to image. How many of you were in chapel last winter when I had the incident with this suit coat? Anybody remember that? Okay, those of you who are freshmen uh, don't know this story probably unless you heard about it, if you're from here. But I was all excited because uh, my wife had found at uh, it was off aisle store that doesn't exist anymore uh, for Kohl's down there at Mayfair Collection. She had heard about some sales that they were having and on clothes and so she said they had their, their sports coats and a lot of other things were much, much cheaper. Uh, I mean, like 70% off. And I thought, that's great. And I hadn't bought a new suit or anything myself for a long time or even a sport coat, just uh, trying to be careful and, and trying to use what I had. And uh, so anyway, I was all excited. I said, okay, great. You know, I'm going to go check it out. So I found this. Looks fine. I said, I'll, I'll get it. And it was very cheap. So I, I, got, I went ahead and got it. And came uh, home, I thought, work the next day to, 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 to school. And I thought I had taken care of all the tags and everything that were on the coat. So I'll come here to lead chapel. And uh, I'll never f f forget, I'm up here leading the songs, okay? And there's just a lot of smiles and kind of people looking at each other. And I'm thinking, I don't know, what is going on? I thought, oh, that's strange. There must be some inside thing happening, and I'm just not getting it. So then the song's done, and, and Pastor Zemple comes up to pray, and I'm standing over there. I don't know who was preaching that day. So I and all of a sudden, I hear pitter-patter, pitter-patter. And, and it's Pastor coming my way during prayer. And I'm thinking, and all of a sudden, he's like, son, you got a tag on your, your, uh, your arm. And uh, so I, I immediately feel here, and I go, uh-oh. And then I'm thinking immediately, oh, man. You know, I, I wouldn't stand there like this. I was leading, and I was using my left arm. So this thing was hanging. And uh, how many of you actually saw it? You're like, oh, okay, oh, man. And uh, so I, I, I realized at that point I just had to die to, to self, and I had to um, just, just put it out there that I know that it happened. So, of course, during the rest of the prayer, I'm not wanting to rip out, like, half of my suit coat trying to get rid of it. So I'm just going, you know, that little tug trying to, to snap it. And knowing that probably people are peeking during prayer, wondering why pastor was moving over there and looking at me. It was just one of those uh, mortifying moments as a, uh, uh, I don't know, as a human being trying to save their image a little bit. Uh, but anyway, we all had a good laugh, right? Wasn't that, wasn't that a good laugh? That, that was fun. I actually, I, I've learned that you just have to, you have to just kind of learn to make fun of yourself uh, and, uh, and really genuinely laugh and have a good time with it. I, I know that growing up, uh, I've struggled with, with stuttering, uh, still do it some now, uh, but I remember when I was younger, I was actually tongue-tied, tongue and that, I think that made it worse, and uh, I'll never forget. By the way, have any of you ever had tongue-tied, had to get deal, deal with that? Okay, I remember, okay, I remember um, going to the doctor's office, and basically they're like, okay, we'll, we'll numb this. I think they numbed it a little bit. I was a second grader, and then he gets these big scissors out. I'm like, uh, what's this going to be, you know? And like okay, oh, you know, and uh, that was man, that was that. I still have trauma from that moment. That was 
that was bad. And then we were worried about one or two of our kids with that, and I told them my story. My wife said, you just ruined it. We'll never get that solved if, they, uh, if they're tongue-tied. <laughs> anyway, uh, but the point is, even with the stuttering over time, there are certain things like in moments when, when stuttering happens that it really it's, it's pretty humbling. Uh, it's not fun, especially when you try to say the word orchestra, and all you can get is orc, orc, and uh, you sound like a penguin. And, uh, and I've, I've had some good moments with, with uh, laughing about that. But the point is, there are, there's a lot of ways, you know, at times, there's times I feel like I wish I just didn't have that. But then the moment I spiritually grasp what the Lord's doing in my heart, I thank him for the humbling of it. We don't like to be humble, do we? We don't like our image to look not as sharp as we would like it to be. We, we want people to think of us as highly as they can. That's just natural as human beings for us to do that. And we, because of the technology of today, I think you and I understand how much people really do, uh, are very conscious of, the, of their own image. In fact, I remember when I came to BCM, I came, uh, I was a freshman in the year 2000, okay? It's even before 9-11, okay? And I, I can remember back then, it was still dial-up internet, and, and uh, in fact, um, Al Gore had just invented, I think. I think he had just invented the internet. Something. Do, 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 do you guys even know that joke? Okay, wow, this is generation gap. Okay. Al Gore claimed that he invented the internet. Okay, so in case you, now that I just found out that I can't say certain things anymore, then we get a laugh because it's not funny to some of you who don't even know. All right, I'm learning. Okay, scratch that one. But the point is this, the point is this, that the... Uh, when I came to school, it was still dial-up internet. You didn't have cell phones. In fact, last night, we uh, ended up, we had to kind of rearrange for a little, our little Emma, by the way, is seven today. It's her birthday. So you can really embarrass her, say, happy birthday, Emma. Now, just if a lot of you did it, she's so shy, she'll just be mortified. But great, she, she actually likes it. But, uh, but, but the point is, last night we decided, well, let's do something uh, a little different. It was the night before, and we had thought we were going to do it, our celebration last night and had to move it to this afternoon before church. And so I, I said, well, I, we had just found, I was cleaning through my office, and I found a 2005-2006 stewardship skit. That's your uncle. So stewardship, stewardship Carol from 2006. And anyway, as, uh, as we were um, going through all, all that there, uh, last night we were watching that. Um, I just lost my train of thought where I was going with this. This is really embarrassing. Now, okay, this is not good. Oh, it'll, it'll, it'll come back to me. Anyway, um, wow. Oh, talking about the, oh, man, this is really bad. You're not supposed to do this when you're up here preaching. All right, I'll just skip that and move on. You can scratch that from the recording, Brendan. So uh, anyway, I had something really uh, good with that, that direction. But anyway, with, uh, but the point is, all right, I'll just go back to where I was going. The, we have really changed as, as a culture. Oh, here's what it was. They were taking, uh, they were doing the, the part where, I, I think it's changed some since, but where you take a picture, Scrooge and, and Marley are taking a picture of, the, of, of, of them being in the stewardship banquet and, and the crowds behind them. A selfie. Well, you know what they're using for a selfie? A camera, an actual, you know, digital, pretty fairly large digital camera. And I'm just laughing, thinking, back then we didn't even know what cell phones were doing. All this, you know, that, that selfie thing wasn't even going on then. I think it, the smartphones came in after that. And so it was, it was an amazing thing just to watch that. My kids were trying to process. Why would you use a camera uh, for that? And then they turn it around, and they're like, okay, you're not in there. You know, it's all part of the, the skit. But everything's changed. 
Now, I'm very thankful that you are not living in an environment where you are on Facebook every day, where you're on Instagram and Pinterest, whatever else is out there. I'm really kind of naive a little bit. But the point is, why, why, why do I say that, or Twitter, or whatever? Because it's just a constant bombardment of image for yourself. Not that those things couldn't be used, potentially balanced, but it's so hard to see it nowadays with what I see going on. But my point is this, image, 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 image. I want to ask you a question as we see this illustration here, really teaching of Jesus in John 12. Would you rather be a polished seed or a fruit-bearing plant? You say, what do you mean by that? Well, there's a big difference. And we're going to see this here from our Savior in John chapter 12. So let's look at this here, John chapter 12, verse 23. And Jesus answered them saying, oh, by the way, what, what's the context here? The Greeks were just coming there. This is after the triumphal entry. And they say, they come to worship at the feast. And they said, we would see Jesus. And then it says, Philip cometh and telleth Andrew. And then Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And what's Jesus say to them? How does he answer them? He says, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now, in the context of what just happened here, think about it. The triumphal entry. He comes in. Everybody's saying, Hosanna, and they're just worshiping him, and they're all excited, and it's just this big moment. And Christ is saying, now it's, it's the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. But he says, verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. And then verse 28, he says, Father, glorify thy name. And then we see the commendation. The Father says, a voice from heaven says, I have both glorified it, and we'll glorify it again. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd help me. I pray that you give, in this time that we have together, a real helpful truth that you have already given to us. May it be applied correctly. Spirit of God, I need your help. Would you work through me? Would you help each one here to get the truth that they need to help them today? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to look at two simple points. Typically, I preach a three-point or more message, but two points here today. The first point I'd like to see is the consequence of a life that's not yielded to the Lord. Now, I've been hearing some really encouraging things about what God's doing here in our college. And I haven't interacted with you, in, in, and I haven't heard all your testimonies. I haven't interacted with you to the level of knowing what God's doing in all of your lives. But I've been really encouraged about some of the deep spiritual work that God's doing. But even in a group where there's a lot of wonderful things happening, there still are some of you, very likely, I hope not, but there's probably some of you here who are still struggling with being, not being yielded to, to, to God fully. And I want us to see how dangerous that is here in this passage. A life without God's presence and blessing is what happens when you, when you don't yield to God. Because look at verse 24. Jesus says, here's the path to glorif be, being glorified. Except a corn of wheat or a seed fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. All right? Now, if you want God's presence and blessing, if you want his, ultimately his, his, his life to be lived through you, then you have to choose something. Are you going to be a really nice-looking seed, or are you going to be a fruit-bearing plant? But there's a process here. And, so, and many times, unfortunately, believers choose just, hey, I'm going to 
be just like a seed that's living on its own and doesn't go through God's process. So it's like this. If I brought a seed in here, and whatever seed it was, and I put it right here on the pulpit, many of you wouldn't even be able to see it, right? And would you be that impressed with the seed? I don't think so. A seed. Okay, good. Well, that's how foolish we are when we think that we don't have to be fully yielded to all that God's doing in our lives. You may think to yourself today, I'm not a rebel. I'm not living pushing against, you know, and blatantly pushing against God. But I'd like to just kind of help us a little bit think about truly where we are here this morning. Let me help you think of it this way. It's the idea of the illustration of the seed on its own without going through the process that God made for a seed to become a plant. It's like a seed spending all of its time polishing itself, giving itself the best image possible, thinking it can buck the natural process of how a seed becomes a plant. All the while that seed is working on building its image, it's oblivious to the fact that nobody even cares. You know, we do that. I'm not talking about just your looks. I'm talking about just your image, your just how you live, wanting to please others, wanting to please yourself. And the, it's interesting and it's true. It's a fact of, of nature that the longer a seed is just on its own, the harder it gets. And when we are too busy being ourselves to let God break through, even though we know much of God's word, we have him inside of us, we have his life, we miss out on his life then breaking through our shell. And so here's an important picture that Jesus gives. He says, look, he says, accept a corn of wheat, accept a seed, fall to the ground and die. It abides alone. It's just like a seed being put on a shelf and everybody coming to admire the seed. Well, it's not going to happen. What we admire is the beautiful plants that grow because of the seed went into the ground. Its shell was taken off by the dirt, that dying process, and the life of that seed was able to shoot through. Now, I want to just kind of apply this here a little bit for us when, when we think of the negative side of trying to continue to polish our seed. Can you honestly say that you have died to yourself and you're dying? It's a daily decision. Paul says, I die daily, right? And that right now, today, that you are completely yielded to God. Can you say today that there is nothing in your life that you are holding on to? You know, I think a lot of us find ourselves thinking, well, it's just sin. Like, you know, maybe I looked at something I shouldn't have looked at, or maybe I said something I shouldn't have said. And it's obvious sinful actions that we sometimes get caught up with thinking that's the only thing if I'm not yielded to God. Because, well, that's that totally true. If you've not dealt with sin, you're not yielded to God. But this, there's even more than that. How about your future? You know, your future spouse. You can tell when somebody's fully yielded to God when they're not the flirt. They're not the one looking for somebody else's attention. Why? Because that person's trusting God, and when he has the right time, he'll make it just right. See, if you're trying to angle to get a guy's attention, young lady, you are not yielded to God. You are not trusting God about your future, and you're actually hurting some, somebody else in the, in the process or multiple people. Guys, same thing for you, not just girls. You're not careful. If you're not, if you're not, look, you can, it's funny, I'm not saying I was perfect. I understand the, the dynamic of college life and so on. I'm not saying I was at all. But after probably about halfway through my freshman year, I, I woke up to the fact that I didn't even, I, I wasn't a flirt, but I, I'm, I know I, I'm sure I, I still have wrong motives. I'm not saying that. 
But once I got out of that period of time, you know, when I finally woke up a little more to reality after that first freshman semester or two, then I began to understand that, you know what, I can trust God. And honestly, in my case, and sometimes it can happen however, and God does it different for everybody. In my case, God didn't really put anything strongly on my heart about my future until right at the end of my senior year. You know what? I was okay with it. It didn't ruin my college years. In fact, it probably made them a lot better because I wasn't consumed with it. I'm not saying God can't put something on your heart. You can't communicate to your parents and do everything that would honor God. I'm not saying that. Please don't look at my story as the gospel, but let me tell you this, that if you're consumed with your future and consumed with somebody else and, it, and you're not yielded to God, and, let, and, th- and there was even a moment, I'll just tell this, in, in the courtship that as my wife began to, God began to work in her heart, there sometimes will be spiritual battles, and she was going through a wrestling match about something, and I didn't know what it was, and it was just this work that God was doing in her heart. I think Satan was fighting hard, too. It was a brief period of time. I'll never forget, I was a dorm soup uh, in the, uh, when we used the, where the foresters lived there in the house beside the church uh, as a dorm. I was there with a few guys, and I, I remember they were in school. It was the middle of the day. And I didn't know what, what was going to happen, just things that uh, my wife was, um, was wrestling through. And I remember being flat on my face, weeping. And this is what I said to God. I said, God, I believe this is your will. But if you are not in this, I love you and I trust you. That was a key moment. That's called dying to self. Now, it, God worked it out. It was an unusual spiritual attack, and, and it was fine. It was not even, I don't even want to misstate it because it wasn't a bad thing. It was actually a beautiful thing because God did something in my heart. It was a wonderful challenge for me and God clarified things very quickly in the whole situation and I just I, I wouldn't trade anything for the beautiful courtship and wedding and marriage that God's given us not been perfect but it's been wonderful built on a foundation of God's working but if you today are living fretting about that will I ever get married is this ever going to work out what am I going to do how do I that, you're not letting God put you in the ground and die. And you're f- polishing your seed and you're wondering, where is the blessing? Because you're not trusting God. God allows us to go through trials of faith, including things like your future mate, future ministry, how God's going to work in your life. We many times miss out on the glory of what God's wanting to do because we don't trust Him. We don't let Him cause us to die to self. You know, I don't like dying to self. I really don't. God seems to put that put me in that process about every single day these days, especially. You know, being in charge of um, finances at times could be a challenge because you're right in the middle of knowing where things are at. Even in your own personal life, when you have a large family and have expenses, and God lets you sometimes skate right on the edge. I don't like that, humanly speaking. But there's been times when God's put me on my face, and I've had to say, God, I can't do it. I don't know what to do. That's a good thing. That's not bad. We don't like it. It's uncomfortable. But God does it for a reason. Because he wants to show himself strong through you. See, we buck against difficult things. Your generation and even mine, I can, I'm really pretty much, I'm on the older end of the millennial. Some of you are on the younger end of that. And then the next generation down. But we're all pretty much, I'm just now starting to, it's weird. I still feel like I'm with your generation. But I'm getting a little older. But the fact is, I understand the mindset. I understand the thinking. We want to push against things that are hard. We don't, we don't want to have to face that. We want things to work out now. You guys are used to going to most fast food restaurants and getting something quick, right? Most of the time. You go to the internet today, and 
And we're frustrated. I was on a computer here at church, and it actually went, and then it went to the website, and I was frustrated. When I was a kid, it was, it was a dial-up, and then you might get one email to come in on Juno or whatever it was, and it might come in and download, and it had, like, no, 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 no bytes, you know, barely anything, just two, two lines. It took, like, a minute to load. Okay, but today you guys are used to getting everything now, 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 now. And sometimes God doesn't want you to get it now. He wants you to wait. Are you willing to let him put you through the process of dying to self? See, we're not that willing many times. And we wonder why we just feel like we're some seed sitting on a shelf, because we kind of are at the moment. We're not a fruit-bearing plant. Now, I'm going to give you a little thing here. You, many of you are involved in leading young people in our church some way or the other, maybe through a Sunday school class with the teens or a elementary, sometimes younger kids in that. But even bus kids, you challenge your class member to trust God to work through the authorities in their life, right? You say, look, you know what? You need to honor your parents. No, don't have that spirit. That's not right. And, and, and you're right. You're, and your advice is correct. You better help them with that, right? But then you go to your box at school and you see a demerit. And it's from whoever. I don't know. Miss Yeager. And uh, Miss Leanne Yeager, right? Something you did not turn in or whatever. And you're like, ah, that's such a dumb rule. Why? And you know what? You didn't, you're not letting God strip you of self, are you? See? We're good at giving others advice on dying to self. Oh, you got to trust God. you got to trust those authorities in your life, young people. And you should tell them that. But let me just encourage you when you have an uncomfortable moment, remember it's for you too. Re remember when Brother Swanson, guys, would bring you in his office and challenge you about something. Let God do the full work. Don't resist. Even if he may not have everything exactly right with what happened in a situation, which normally he does, but if he doesn't, that even that moment can help to... to to be a tool that God can use to strip you of self. Ladies, the same thing. When, when Miss Graham or Mrs. Gilmore, whoever else it may be, works with you on something, don't push back because you're going to be a seed sitting on a shelf, polishing yourself, doing nothing, just getting harder. Let God fully break you so that you can be a flourishing plant that demonstrates the glory of what God can do. So let me ask you right now, <clears throat> How much are you currently experiencing God's fruit in your life? I mean, really experiencing it. Joy, peace, consistent love for the brethren. I'm talking about a oh, dynamic walk with God. You say, that's not me. Something's wrong then. There's somewhere where you're saying no to God's process. It could be that God's allowing you to go through a trial. It could be a, a difficulty that's going on at home. Back home, maybe, if you're away from home. It could be that God's allowing you to face a financial trial. Romans chapter 5, James chapter 1, talk about how we're to respond to that. God's process is always perfect. You start by giving God glory for what he's doing, even though you don't see the end. Then you patiently endure under that pressure. It's like the idea of in, in Romans 5 about trying, trying of our faith. Works patience, that James 1 says that, and then about endurance in, in uh, Romans 5. That's literally the idea of standing under something. Imagine if the trusses in this building or the big beams in the auditorium. Isn't it kind of neat to see those tiles off and you can see what's up there? Pretty, I, I remember I was a five-year-old when we did the first version of the auditorium. I remember how fascinated I was going in there and before the ceiling tile went up. I thought that was the neatest thing. But those beams, those big beams in there, those big red beams, 
If those, th if, if let's give them, uh, let's personify, let's make them uh, real for just a minute, like human beings. If they decide, you know what, you know what, we've had 30 years of this structure, we're done. We're not holding under that weight of that steeple and that uh, roof anymore. What would happen? Be bad, wouldn't it? Okay, real bad. Well, it's the same in your life. God's wanting you to endure and to stand under the weight that he's putting there. Yield to him, look to him, and let him do this process. Why? Because when you do that, you begin to experience him. And when you experience him, then you begin to experience answer to prayer. You begin to experience life transformation, and it builds a confidence. Look, you young people need to learn to die yourself now. I'll tell you why. Because when you get older, the temptation to polish your seed is going to be really, really there. And you're going to, it's going to be a mess. And it have, have drastic, drastic implications. I'm talking about like ministry-altering changes. Your seed's got to be polished. You're not dying to self. You're going through something in the church and, you, and that, that you're pastoring or you get attacked by other pastors and you think, well, maybe I'm a little too whatever. And you start to shift. And all of a sudden, 10 years later, you're on a path you never would have dreamed of. You're losing your family, even your, your worldly family. You're starting to make compromises in your life. I see it happen all the time because we're concerned about polishing the seed. We're not dying to sell. We're not letting God do his process here. So you not only have the, the, the sadness of missing out on the, the presence and just the blessing of God in your life, the, his full working, but you also have something else. Verse 25 talks about life lost. It says, he that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep in the life eternal. Let's look at the first phrase. He that loveth his life shall lose it. What in life is truly important to you? You know, your priorities reveal where your heart is. If peer pressure, and honestly, I wouldn't trade anything. And I think you guys are in the best, and I'm, I'm unbiased, but the best environment to train for the work of the Lord. But even within a wonderful environment like this, there still is peer pressure. You may be in originator of negative peer pressure to others. Obviously, there's a lot of positive peer pressure here. But if you operate solely on peer pressure, and that's what you make your decisions on, and you, you're always concerned about what other people are going to think, God is not now, and especially even in, in the future, as you make big decisions on your own outside this environment, is not going to be impressed when your excuse is, well, this is what they were saying I should do, and you did not firmly stay rooted to what God wanted you to do because you were just constantly worried about what your peers thought. I'm going to give you an interesting illustration. I have seen many pastors send their kids to certain colleges purely by peer pressure. You say, well, that's pretty judgmental. I know fact that it happens sometimes. Why would you send your kid there when you know? I mean, the... the the guys will be in a board meeting and they'll talk about just their concerns about this place, but then they send their kid there. Why do they do it? Well, because it would be really silly to send them to a different college because I, I would look like I'm, and they're worried about their friends. And they're worried about maybe they know the college president. I understand those pressures. And I wouldn't want anybody to feel peer pressure to send their young person here. I would want all of you to come here out of conviction because your parents believe God wanted you here. We don't want BCM to ever be a political thing where you've got to come to BCM because... No, we want to be a God's leading all of you here. I, I don't know. I probably shouldn't say this story, but I will. I'll be real general about it. But back when I was a student, I think it was my sophomore year, there, there was a pastor who brought his daughter here. She came her freshman year, first semester. She came back second semester, and a week later, all of a sudden he came and took her. And there were several factors, I, I think, that, that were involved. It's whatever. But I know part of it was the pressure this man was under. Good man. I love him. I still am friends with him today. 
his daughter went to a different school. And again, whatever, but the point is, she's now married to a flaming new evangelical and now even social justice warrior. That's sad to me. I grew up knowing this, this girl. We were the same age, school. And uh, she, she wasn't here, but she was uh, in a ministry that we knew the family. And I'm telling you, what, that, made, that makes me sad today. That, that's not, I don't believe that was what God would, would have intended. And I'm not saying even her being here had to be it, but just the whole dynamics of the situation, I kind of went, ah. Oh. I think part of the reason, I don't think it was totally, and there were other factors, but it could have been the peer pressure thing. Are you going to make decisions in your churches based on peer pressure? You get peer pressure, you get pressure from people, or are you going to let God just totally break you so that you are able to let his life shine through? You know, sometimes God's going to put you through excruciating trials. I'm talking about, like, really hard things. It could be something he allows with one of your children. It could be something that he allows in, in the church setting you're in. It could be attacks from other people. I don't know. But I'll tell you what, I look back at anything our family faced from the illness that my brother had or from the brain tumor that he had and the subsequent trials that came with that over the years to the trials that we faced even here in our church periodically, I wouldn't trade those for the world. Even though it's hard to see anything negative happen, I wouldn't trade the process of what God did here. I know Pastor would say the same. I'll tell you, the reason we all love Pastor and we respect his spiritual leadership is because he's a man who has allowed God to do this process in his life. There's times that one time I remember, he looked at me in the eye and said, son, I don't care if God ruins me, it seems. He says that whatever it takes for his cause to go forward, if, I'm, if I am dirt, if I'm scum, it doesn't matter because I want him glorified. He meant it was with tears in his eyes. We were facing something hard. I just remember as a young man thinking, wow. Lord, help me to be that kind of a man. And because of that, this church is still moving forward, and this college has unbelievable p potential and all what God's already done and is doing. It's amazing. Why? A man that's yielded to the breaking process. You can have a life that's lost. You can lose it all. Or you can ultimately have a life, which we'll see in a minute, that you gain everything. It all comes down to what are you living for. Are you living for yourself, your own a lot of times it's just self-protection. We just want to deflect any challenge off of us. Then we see, it says, verse um, 27, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. What would have happened, obviously, is, is unfathomable because of Christ uh, uh, being God and man, but being God. He, he followed all the way through because of who he is, but if he had not, Think of how tragic. I mean, all the all of the glory of what we know, what we wouldn't know at all. But in our lives, God wants us to live out the same process. He says it in Hebrews 10. He says it here in other places that it's death to self is the path to glorification. Philippians 2, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death. God has highly exalted him, right? So what happens today when we're all a bunch of polished seeds? Who's not glorified then? God isn't. Isn't that tragic? You know, anybody in this room right now that's not yielded to God, you are, at, you are actually a very bad reflection on who your God is. You say, well, look, I mean, I look good. I'm following the dress code and everything looks good. No, no, you're a bad reflection on Christ. You're not glorifying him. People see you. Why is God's name mocked so much today and not taken seriously in our nation especially? Most believers are not giving the right view of God. We're not lifting him up. We're just we're consumed with ourselves in so many different ways. 
So let's look positively for the last few moments and at the result of a life yielded to God. What happens? Well, you have a life with much fruit and eternal reward. That's what Jesus said. He said, look, if you're a polished seed and you just try to keep your image, you're going to bite alone. You're just, you're all on your own. But if it dies, if it's put into the ground, if that soil does this process to, to, to kill off that shell, guess what happens? That plant goes right through. And there's, the Bible says, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. When God's word takes root in our hearts and his life is seen through us, guess what happens? Lives are touched, souls are saved, and God uses you to be discipling and moving people to victory. You know, God is not interested in you just being something that somebody looks at, an image or, a, you, know, a, you know, like a seed, just to try to polish your own image. God is wanting you to be somebody who is so constantly reflecting Jesus because you're dying to self. You're just, it's just a process. You're just letting God do whatever he needs to do. You're humbling yourself. You're, by the way, James 3, we've heard this, I think, re, re, recently, but the wisdom that's from above is first what? Pure, peaceable, easy to be entreated. That means corrected. If you're living with God's wisdom, you're an easily correctable person. And you're humble. And you're living at peace with one another. There's not, there's not friction. You're not living for self. Okay, And so that kind of a life is a life that makes much impact, much fruit. Also, verse 25, it says, He that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. You find yourself treasuring things that matter for eternity. You treasure heavenly things. You live for eternity. Guess what? You're willing to sacrifice whatever time it takes to do the will of God. You're willing to sacrifice your resources because you want God to have everything he desires to have from you. This generation, I'm just going to be a little bit blunt here. I've been blunt a couple times today, but here's one more. This generation struggles with sacrificing. Now, you guys have really been a blessing as much as you've even done in the last, well, all year really at the key times. But I'm talking about willing to get involved in the cause even if it profits you nothing. Even if there's no gain out of it seemingly for you. Because we just live in a mentality where it's, it's, it's a lot of it's, give it, it's, it's, it's a consumer mentality. And we do it in almost every, every area. And you are wonderful young people, but you do come from that mindset of what can I get out of it? Can I do this for this or whatever? And many times God's just saying, you give yourself to my cause and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of your needs. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move you forward. And uh, I think... If we can all continue to grow in that, and many of you have learned that and are a wonderful example of this, but being willing to just sacrifice yourself, live for, not, not for self, but for eternal things and see what God can do. Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You've heard that many times. That's a good quote. And then this is neat. They'll have a life that's honored by the Father. Look at verse 26. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am... There shall also my servant be. I should have brought this up in the original point, under point one, about how you would miss God's presence and his fruit. The presence point comes from verse 26. Okay, if you're not letting God do that work and you're not serving him fully, then you're missing his, because he says, where I am, there shall also my servant be. And if any man serve me, look what it says, him will my father honor. God honors those who serve him without any reserve, qualifications, or expectations. You say, I don't, God, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do, go wherever you want me to go. I'm talking about right now. I'm not talking about even just in the future. Like right now, today. Okay? You've got to obviously accomplish what God would have you accomplish, but sometimes he has you take a little bit of a different path than you thought. Are you, are you willing to let him do that? Um, nothing better in life 
to live for is to hear God say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Do you want his commendation? Do you want the Father to honor you? Or are you more concerned about what even wonderful young people like that surround you here say? Or, or are you ultimately burdened about what he says? By the way, Jonathan Goforth was that way. A little Goforth plug here. Um, but jo- Jonathan Goforth was that way. And when he went to college, he was actually at first mocked and despised. He was, he was in a very dead situation. He was at a Presbyterian college, Knox College in Toronto. But he was passionate about reaching people. Some of you have heard this story. But he would go into the slums. And policemen would say, what are you doing here? You're going to get killed. And he would go in there. He'd knock on the door. And he was so earnest to lead souls to Jesus that when the door was open, even just a slight crack, he stuck his foot in the door. Uh, and so they couldn't close it on him. And he would just witness and witness. And when he was at school for a little while, I think a few days in, and they could see he was zealous. And he was shocked because he thought everybody loved Jesus at school. You know, he went there. He was naive. And they put some kind of a... A, uh, they got a bunch of fabric, and they cut out like a hole for his head or something, and they put it over him, and they made him run, and they made him walk around. And I mean, it's just the, the cruelest stuff that they did. Guess what happened when he when he graduated? His student body funded him to go to the mission work themselves. God lifted him up. See, he wasn't living by peer pressure; he was living for for for, for God. Now that's a t- totally different environment than BCM. I, I, I believe it is. I think I hope you would never do that to anybody. Okay. But the point is, who are you living for? See, he kept living for God. He was living for, he was abandoned to, to see God use his life. He didn't care what it took, even if he had to go through a very negative peer pressure situation. And by the time he left, the student body was overwhelmed with what God was doing in his life, and it was a changed place. One man, fully yielded to God, not concerned about his image. He goes from being what could have been a polished seed to a fruit-bearing plant because he allowed it, the seed of his life be put in the ground and die. And then, of course, Jesus says, Father, glorify thy name. You know what? There's no greater privilege in the world than being somebody who gives the right impression of God. To glorify means to give the right impression of who he is. Is that what your life does? Or do people say, you know, so-and-so, wow, they're, they're, they're really sincere, but man, they just keep, they're stuck on themselves. They, they just can't stop you know, they struggle a little bit with it. It's not like it's an overt attitude, but just, I can't really read it. It ought to be that, wow, that young person, that college student, I don't know what it is about them, but man, I see the Lord in them. You say, how can I get there? Just let, as Paul said, let God cause you to die daily. When you're corrected, respond and let God work you over. Don't resist it. When, when somebody else even makes fun of you or does something unkind to you, just let God work in your heart and and learn to die to self. And when it comes to things you're worried about or there's some trials you're facing, learn to roll it on the Lord. And instead of trying to take it on yourself, say, God, just do whatever it takes to strip me of self. I want to know you. And when you begin to do that, it's glorious. And people don't see you anymore. They see Christ. So the question for us today is, are you a polished seed? Trying to get your image okay and protect yourself. Or are you right now a fruit-bearing plant? That's the question. Let's bow our heads, please.